Welcome, everybody. Here we are, Thursday, June 4th, for another edition of the Healthy Indoors Show. I'm your host, Bob Krell, publisher of Healthy Indoors Magazine. We have a real interesting topic today. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, we'll be uh, discussing uh, some of the evolution or the current uh, push to do some evolution on the, uh, the identity of the industrial hygiene profession. And uh, with us today, um, we have a group of panelists that have been long-term veterans in the industry, certified industrial hygienists. Uh, but first, we actually uh, will be uh, bringing in the uh, CEO of the industry, uh, AIHA. I, I almost almost started to use your uh, your full your full name here, but we'll discuss that in a bit. Uh, so with us today is Larry Sloan, and Larry is the CEO of AIHA. Um, he uh, has you've been with them since 2000, 2016, correct? Correct. That's when you came on board. And he previously yeah. was the president and CEO of the Society of Chemical Manufacturers and Affiliates, uh, which was the uh, leading trade industry serving the specialty chemical, uh, chemical industry. Uh, Larry is just coming off a um, uh, virtual event. The uh, AIHC event went totally 100% virtual this week. So that just got through that. And, and, you, and you still look like you know, you're relatively sane. So that's good. <laughs> and, and then. Up. <laughs> Excellent. And then, of course, with us again, back in the co-pilot seat uh, from Hayward Score, the healthy building scientist and uh, chief provocateur, Joe Medosh. Welcome back, buddy. Greetings. Mi Greetings. Missed you last week. Missed you last I know I did too. Right. You know, <laughs> you, you missed you last week. All right. So I, 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 missed, so, I missed, I missed everybody. I missed the There experience. you go. So, so I guess the big news, the big news here is AIHA uh, on Monday. And I'm, well, I'm going to read the little blurb that we used. So on uh, June 1st, the American industrial hygiene association, AIHA announced a rebranding and public awareness campaign with the unveiling of its new logo and tagline, healthier workspaces, a healthier world. So um, that, so that's going to really be the crux of our discussion today is first of all, what prompted that and, uh, and you know, what's the intent here. So uh, what I'd like to do, I mean, my first question for, for Larry is going to be, um, you know, what are the new branding changes for AIHA and, and what prompted the organization to implement those? Sure. So Bob, thanks again for having me on today's program. Um, I'll start out at the beginning, you know, the whole effort began in 2016 and we were approached by the U S department of labor to address uh, pipeline issues in the occupational health and safety space, the profession. And it was this outreach that in effect was the genesis of the whole idea behind our ongoing brand refresh campaign. This campaign's primary objective is to reach new audiences. First audience is to entice students that are interested in STEM to consider special hygiene as a career choice. And then secondly, we wanna educate non-technical audiences about the value that we provide society. So simply put, the whole brand refresh campaign, it's an awareness campaign, and it's designed to raise the visibility of our members as the experts in what is increasingly being referred to as occupational health and safety. So over the last few years, we've met with members through various task forces, uh, various surveys were conducted, focus groups to better understand how the term industrial hygiene is being perceived by people that are not like ourselves, right? So business C-suite executives, EHS top management, HR professionals, and other people. And the output from all of this effort over the last few years was overwhelmingly in favor of pivoting to a different term that would be better understood by non-industrial hygienists. So again, keep in mind, these audiences are folks that have no idea that our profession exists. And so we need to communicate a little bit differently to these people. So one last comment on top of all of this, along comes COVID and AIJ is ramping up its efforts to produce a series of documents to help educate non-IHs about things like PPE and N95s and what's an N95 versus another type of respirator. Uh, effective disinfection and cleaning of buildings that may have been closed for the last several months, and a whole bunch of other topics. So along with all this came our Back to Work Safely initiative, which actually was predicated by, uh, it was almost a challenge by Mark Cuban, you know, the guy from Shark Tank, Dallas Mavericks guy. And he challenged us to say, you're all about workplace health. You need to be at the forefront of providing practical guidance to people 
about how you safely reopen your businesses. And so we now have close to 20 back to safety, back to work safely documents that are posted on our website. And he's tweeted out about it a couple of times. And so all of that is kind of integrated into our outreach campaign. The COVID epidemic basically um, jump-started the whole thing. You know, we were going to start along the lines of a, a very concerted campaign later this month, but COVID kind of causes the jump started. So, so effectively, you actually um, then implemented this a little quicker than you had planned due to COVID. Exactly. That's the, exactly. the timing looked, you know, looked like it was very much, you know, tied together. You know, mm-hmm. so, so, but it was in the works for you're saying like almost four years, right? We started doing the research almost four years ago, and the actual outreach to external audiences really just began with COVID. Interesting. Um, and I guess, you know, I, I would agree with uh, the need for, you know, a, a rebrand or, or a refocus on that. Just from the standpoint from a layperson, right, and, uh, you know, a consumer, the term industrial hygiene tends to make you think of somebody's going to be working at some chemical plant, working at or some big manufacturing facility, and that's, that's where they're their efforts to be focused in that industry. I mean, it's, it, it, it's certainly, that's certainly what it denotes. So, um, so you came out with a new logo um, and uh, you know, a new tagline, which uh, you know, obviously it's, it's, it's not in response to COVID-19, but it's timing was impeccable, you know, and uh, you know, you mentioned that this has been in the works for some time, but is this, does this uh, rebranding that you're doing mean a s- significant uh, mission change for AIHA? No, not at all, not at all. And one of the things that I want to reiterate, and you'll hear this throughout the interview, is that we are still legally the American Industrial Hygiene Association. And what I want to help communicate here today on your program is the fact that we're actually looking at two different um, communication strategies. What we do internally amongst ourselves as a profession and how we're communicating to industrial hygienists is, is very different than what we're trying to do with these external audiences that never heard of us. So I just want to kind of put that out there. Uh, but the, the, the overall, you know, the graphic that you've seen now, the image uh, is really based on the continuous improvement cycle, the plan, do, check, and act. And that's what that circular image is. Um, we, through the, the various focus groups that we've held, uh, members saw the same thing. They like the kind of forward motion of that particular element to the, uh, to the logo. And then we thought, you know what? That circle actually could be mapped against the risk assessment strategy framework, which we anticipate, recognize, evaluate, and control philosophy. So think of that circular motion as forward thinking, forward moving, plan, do, check, act, as well as mapping it against the AREC philosophy. Yeah, I'll actually, I'll bring that graphic up so everybody in the audience can see it, um, the new logo. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's catchy. You know, it, it definitely uh, caught my attention immediately. I think it's uh, um, not to say the old, the old logo wasn't good, but this one seems to be reflective of what you're trying to state, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Right. And again, the point here is the tagline is really meant to connote the underlying essence of what we do. Right. Yes. The old tagline was protecting workers, but this is a little more of a kind of a visionary, if you will, tagline. Mm-hmm. And so it speaks to our broader role in society, which is really all about our communications campaign. How do we better educate people that know nothing about industrial hygiene? They confuse us with dental hygienists. They think we work in dirty plants all the time. And in fact, you know, the role of the industrial hygienist crosses so many different industry sectors. Absolutely. You know, one of the, in the uh, opening on your conference on Monday on the online event, uh, your uh, president, uh, Kathleen Murphy, stated that AIHA's repositioning was not meant to take away from the term industrial hygienist and that the CIH designation is never going away. So, but doesn't the divergence from using uh, the term industrial hygienist in the organization's rebrand effectively outdate the, the term a little bit and set the stage for a rebrand, rebrand of the CIH designation in the future? Or am I reading into that? No, it's a, it's a valid question. We actually talked to our friends over at uh, the Bureau for Global EHS Credentialing. It used to be known as ABIH. And uh, the short answer is no. And again, legally, AIHA remains the American Industrial Hygiene Association. Um, this is always going to be the, the, the term IH, if you will, is always going to be uh, who we are, our identity, if you will. And it's going to be a key component of all of our internal facing communication strategies. 
You know, you may have heard about our IMIH campaign. And the IMIH campaign is something we rolled out a couple of years ago to our local sections around the country. So think about the CIH as once you decide to become an industrial hygienist, right? You've earned your stripes and you wanna then sit for the CIH credential, then the internal communications campaign kicks in. And the CIH is a well-branded credential. It's globally recognized. And again, uh, the board for global EHS credentialing has told us that they have no intention of changing the name. The outward facing logo, if you will, with a new tagline is really meant to help us illustrate what our value is to these audiences that are not like ourselves. Okay, makes total sense. Um, so wait, wait, looking, I have a know, question. Sorry, oh, wait, I have a question. Jump right in. So do you guys have, um, feel you might get associated with OSHA based on your new tagline? Because you're, when I look at it, it seems like it's a, oh, you, you, oh you're OSHA. So I just wanted to address that now um, as a, I'm sure you guys had that debate or had that feedback. So I was wondering if you could comment on it. You know, I, I think that OSHA is, a, is an entity unto itself. And, and I think, you know, those of us that know what AIHA is, we work very closely with OSHA. We work very closely with NIOSH, of course. And, and I think that um, we've been using the AIHA acronym for literally for almost over a decade, quite frankly. And a lot of our branding has just shown the AIHA uh, moniker uh, with the old logo. And so there really is no change to how we are positioning uh, our brand. And I think, again, the new tagline really helps to over kind of overemphasize the fact that we are aspiring to a global workplace, right, where we have uh, no illness, no illness in the workplace. So I, I think there's a clarity between OSHA and what they do versus AIHA. Yeah, I'm sure I mean, the industry understands that, but I think that you're now positioning yourself to be the be the solution, not just some compliance document that I now need to interpret or, you know, make sure people read this and actually now have some compliance. I think that so many companies are looking for, oh, help me because I, you know, just because I told people how to wear a mask and demonstrated that and hand them a document doesn't mean that my workplace is now safe. So right. uh, when I give advice to people, I'm like, you know, there's two things you should be doing is make sure that if you're getting a disinfectant, which is registered, understand what the rep is offering you, but go get an uh, industrial hygienist as your consultant or your legal team as a concept that they can back up what it is you're advising uh, your employees or working with your clients. All those things give you validity when you have an industrial hygienist review what you're doing and what you're, uh, how you're doing it. That's right. And, and, and Joe and Bob, I mean, the reality is that AIHA may put out a guidance document and might uh, differ a little bit from what OSHA and CDC and even NIOSH might be saying. When you look at our back to work safely guidance documents, what I referenced earlier, there are some elements in those documents that are not exactly in sync with OSHA and CDC. And that was done intentionally based on the expertise of industrial hygienists who authored those documents. So we are not always lockstep in everything that the federal agencies promulgate. Yeah, and nor should you be, um, because, you know, obviously, um, you know, they're not infallible. Right. And, uh, you know, certainly, certainly, um, you know, coming from the private sector, you guys, I, I believe, you know, you bring a wealth of field experience and knowledge, and sometimes things that come from, you know, from government entities, both federal and state level, um, are not necessary, you know, they're, they tend to be a little bureaucratic, right? I mean, they can be. And certainly, certainly, uh, you know, having having the experience of, you know, thousands of people in the field actively practicing, you know, it makes a lot of sense. So at this point, oh, sorry, I was uh, going to bring in the rest of our panel, yeah. but if you have another question. I do. I, should, I, I, so, I won't OSHA stop has been missing. OSHA has been missing in action. That kind of brought them up for a double purpose there because they were not involved until just recently. To try, they kind of gave out some. Um, uh, half completed uh, um, concept. So regarding uh, COVID, reason, you're talking about the COVID pandemic. COVID, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we're, that's really what our focus is about. You know, the, the workplace and uh, that. So they really were kind of. In fact, they actually made a statement indirectly saying that, well, we don't think we should be able to put an undue burden upon businesses to right. uh, do a bunch of things that they aren't required. Which was kind of like a sad statement. That's their purpose is to make sure that people are safe, uh, and whether or not that's an impact on the employer. Uh, is just part of how they do business. So uh, I think we'll all appreciate your guidance that is active in looking out for the, the worker as well as the hygienist. So, right. so I'd like to uh, bring in two, our other two panelists, um, 
Mike and Jack, uh, you can uh, turn your cameras on and come to the front of the room. So um, let's introduce them in no particular order because uh, uh, I love both of these guys. I, I got to just admit it. You know, we've been around way too long. But uh, without any any preferential treatment, since you're the first one in the image uh, coming up here, Jack Springston. He has over 30 years experience in industrial hygiene and occupational health. He's been a certified industrial hygienist since 1993 and also holds the subspecialty certificate in indoor environmental quality. Um, he is the outgoing chair of the American Industrial Hygiene Association's uh, Continuing Education Committee and the incoming chair of the Fellows Special Interest Group. I, I don't know what that is, but you, you'll sure to explain it. Um, and you're currently, uh, Jack's currently the Industrial Hygiene Services Manager, Branch Safety Manager, and Training Director for the ATC Group Services in New York City, Albany, and Long Island, New York. Welcome, Jack. Thanks, Bob. It's nice to have you back. <laughs> no, actually, Jack's never been on the live show, but Jack, Jack used to be a feature columnist in Healthy Indoors. Now, and, and uh, you know, my Jersey guy here, uh, Mike McGinnis, is a certified industrial hygienist, uh, also holds the subspecialty certification uh, in indoor environmental quality. You guys are like two of the only 50 people on the planet with that, right? <laughs> Correct. Basically, um, he's uh, he is the building scientist at RK Occupational Environmental Analysis, or RK Environmental for short, for over 36 years. It's like um, my, Mike has been an industry fixture as long as I've been in the industry, and uh, it's uh, great to have both of you guys here to get your perspectives on uh, you know what we need, you know, what needs to happen, I guess, in the industrial hygiene profession in general, you know, there, it seems like the, the emphasis, obviously, from AIHA is to, to do a rebrand and maybe refresh the image, and at least to the public perception. And um, so we'll, we're going to talk about that a little bit. So I guess one question I'm going to throw out to the whole panel is, um, you know, what, and I'm going to, I'm going to throw this to Jack and Mike first. Um, what have, what have been one or two of the noteworthy changes that you've seen in your guys' time in the industry, uh, in the industrial hygiene profession? What's, uh, you know, what's, from the time that you entered, you know, both of you guys back, uh, well, Jack, you started, what, in the 80s is when you really effectively got in the industry? Uh, late 80s. Late 80s. And Mike, you're since the 70s. Um, yeah, and I'm only 50 years old. That's, you know, I, how you do that. I believe you have a painting in your closet that's very gray and old. Um, but and Mike, you know, Mike's history started obviously well before uh, the private sector. You used to be one of those uh, people in the public sector, right? With OSHA, I was one of those OSHA guys. Yeah. Well, I'll let you go first. What's what's changed? Ah, uh, well, uh, there's more focus. On, the, on environmental health, on an occupational health. Uh, everybody's aware of various stressors that can impact their health. There's a whole lot of inf good information and disinformation going around. Uh, you know, some people say mold is deadly and other people say mold is mold. And, you know, just for example, uh, uh, as one, uh, but there's always new stressors coming along or new approaches to these so it's just more broad-based. When I was with OSHA, it was strictly, um, you know, well, OSHA is worker health and safety, but, uh, you know, uh, HCGIH was smart years ago. They, you know, they had applied occupational and environmental hygiene. And I think as far as the rebranding goes, we ought to focus on environmental as well as occupational. You know, I do a lot of work in private homes and, you know, non, you know, industrial work. You know, most of my work is indoor air quality. So you know, almost by definition, that's a non-industrial workplace. So, uh, you know, from my perspective, you know, just the broadening of the, the areas where we might work and areas where we might prove helpful as far as, you know, helping folks identify hazards and rectify hazards and be a little safer. Makes sense. Jack. Yeah, I agree with, with Mike. Um, we've moved away from the industrial portion. Uh, I mean, historically, uh, IHs had worked in like steel mills, the shipbuilding. Um, we now have moved into like the office environment, even in the home environment. Back in the uh, back in the 90s, when mold started cropping up in, in indoor air quality, um, <clears throat> I remember a friend of mine, good friend of mine, who's also a CIH, he, he, he felt that uh, 
CIHs or IHs in general, that's work that they shouldn't be doing. And he thought it was going to be a passing fad. Uh, obviously, it, it's, that hasn't happened. Um, I think another thing that, that we've seen quite a bit of is um, historically, uh, to be an IH, it, it took you years of, of study and, and um, <clears throat> you would be mentored in, in uh, advanced degrees. Um, now we see people, uh, and we were talking about it earlier, uh, who can go and become certified as a mold expert by taking a four-day class. <laughs> um, and, and people, uh, they'll take these classes and they'll get a certificate and they'll say, see, I'm an expert. Uh, well, a certificate is a lot different than being certified. Well, and the other thing is, you know, you use the term certified too. There's, there are different tiers of what different organizations perceive as certification. <laughs> you know, obviously to, to sit and, uh, you know, pass the, uh, the exam to become a CIH is a very difficult thing. It's not, this is not a simple endeavor. And I would totally concur with you that, you know, a lot of these things that are out there in the marketplace are kind of comical, to say the least. So. One of my pet peeves for probably 30 years now has been quote unquote certifications. Um, you know, I'm a member of the Institute for Credentialing Excellence, which defines what is a certification program and what is a certificate program. And sadly, most of the certifications that people say they hold are nothing more than certificate courses. Uh, you know, what started me off on that years ago, there was a guy out of New Jersey Institute of Technology who offered for about a thousand bucks a course and then a certification. And if you passed everything and joined his association, you came out with a PhD, which he defined as all capitals. <laughs> he defined <clears throat> it as professional hygiene diplomate. And it was guys running around in the colleges in Jersey wow. saying, I'm a PhD. And it'd be like, well, that's a little disingenuous. And, uh, you know, it hasn't gotten any better. It's a whole cottage industry that certifies court reporters and stenographers and travel agents. And, you know, uh, the model is you form an association, you do a preliminary, you know, a training course preliminary to your certification exam. You take a test that, uh, you know, if I had a pet monkey could probably pass. And uh, then you're out there running around a cert, you know, certified this or that. And in our industry, in the IEQ industry, uh, there's plenty of uh, bogus certifications out there. And these are the things Jack and I have to compete with. And, uh, you know, it's just the way it is. But, uh, you know, so our job is to educate the public. You know, CIH is now a title protection, but there's uh, a guy in Jersey that has a CCIH, you know, and at the bottom of his reports, he has this is no way associated with ABIH or AIHA. But it's just, you know, it's it just it's not getting any better out there from what I could tell. So, you know, thank you for letting me vent, but I'm back. Now, I mean, and you should vent. That's why you're here. So, so Larry, you know, so how does how does AIHA, uh, you know, yeah. differentiate, delineate, and protect its uh, its brand, and you know, and the value of uh, you know these, uh, you know, your credentials over other people's so-called credentials? So, uh, Jack and Mike really are the root cause, if you will, as to why we decided to broaden our our brand, right? Because you heard them say, it's not just industrial anymore. We've got members that are practicing the profession in every industrial sector that you can think of from agriculture to mining, to um, buildings, the indoor air quality space. You know, one of our most active committees is the uh, Indoor Environmental Quality Committee. They've done a tremendous amount of work with response to COVID. And I think you heard the terms occupational and environmental. And so as we kind of expand our tent, if you will, and as we articulate what it is that we do as a professional society, we wanna use those words, right? We wanna use words like occupational instead of industrial. We wanna use the word environmental. The other thing I wanna add is that prior to the COVID pandemic, I would travel around the country quite a bit and I would visit with local sections as well as schools. And a lot of the academic programs these days are called occupational health programs or occupational and environmental health or occupational environmental science. And so a lot of the younger folks that are coming out of school are actually more attuned to OC health or OC science or OC and environmental science 
pick one of those. And so that's another reason why we wanted to broaden our perspective. Now, Mike raises a very important point about the difference between a certification and a certificate. AIHA has a few different certificates. You know, you take a course, you do it online for four hours, you take an exam and boom, you get a certificate. That's a very different thing than the CIH. And it's really up to the Bureau for Global BGC, formerly ABIH, they're the ones that really need to be protecting the credential because it's their credential, right? We provide the education for their credential. Well, and isn't that the case with with prevent, professional uh, accreditation and certifications that there is actually a dis, disconnect? There are separate, or, there's a separate accrediting body and, and an organizational body. And I think the first flag is, right, is when an organization goes out, um, they're a membership organization that does education and does certifications all under the same hood. That's questionable. Yes. There's supposed to be a, a firewall between those that provide the education and those that administer the credential. And if there's not a firewall, you should be a little bit suspicious. Yeah, I would say, especially the ones that offer it all online that you know you can acquire it in a weekend uh, of uh, strenuous effort. <laughs> You can get your, uh, you know, and what now, and now, McGinnis, I have to bring this up though. There was a point where we were competing with acronyms behind our name with all the voluntary uh, certifications or the certificate programs out there. I mean, we both had a lot, a lot of crazy ones at one point. It seemed like, you know, so, and I see, have you dropped a lot of those? Because I have over the years. No, I still keep my CET and my CIAQP. Those are legitimate. They're, you know, done by third party. So as long as it's a third party, uh, you know, certification, then uh, I'm okay with it. And if it passes, you know, like I said, uh, check out Institute for Credentialing Excellence. It used to be National Organization for Competency Assessment. And they uh, have uh, all the procedures and processes and definitions that if you want to be a true certifying body, here's what you do and here's what you should be doing. And, you know, here's how it goes. So, uh, no, I, I kept all those. They're, they're uh, you know, they, uh, they still, you know, they were, they were never, you know, out of a cert mill or anything like that. Yeah. I got to tell you, I rebranded myself. I'm no longer an industrial hygienist. I'm, I've been for about 15 years now, I've been a building pathologist, which kind of explains what I do. I do very, you know, very little classical, if you want to call it that industrial hygiene, you know, my, my area of expertise is indoor air and buildings and, you know, why buildings get wet and, you know, all that kind of stuff, construction, uh, you know, defects and, rectification so uh, I can, yeah, I can. When, I, when i tell people when i used to tell people i'm an, i was an industrial hygienist they said so how many toilets can you clean in a day right. and i'd be like uh probably less than you <laughs> no <laughs> well i mean so, yeah, i, I rebranded myself okay. yeah, 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 yeah. I, i'm gonna go with my rebrand first so i went with healthy building scientists because i felt that building scientists were neglecting uh, ventilation extremely or accepting a code compliant ventilation as well as they weren't sensitive to all the chemicals that were in the materials that they were trying to put in the house. So I rebranded healthy building scientists. Well, it all um, boils down to the four P's, Joe, you know it and I know it. Yeah. Right. So I went the other direction. I, I rebranded myself as an indoor environmental entertainer. Um, and and I, I, I think, the, I think the industry needed one. So, you know, and you're good the, at it. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. You know, uh, I, I try not to be encumbered by experience or knowledge at any given time. Um, you do well. but, so wait, you so know, I have, I, I, Okay. So no, I, have, I have feedback we're, for we're you, and, and I have a question. Okay, so cool. we so we always step on each other. It's okay. Yeah, more than usual today. <laughs> for a long time, and it still is one of the most number one um, associate degrees. Then becomes even more of a profession is crime scene investigator. That that when I was in Georgia, there you had to wait just to get into a college or uh, the technical college to do this because it was so popular. This is it's like CBS. okay, I can't wait. Yeah. So, but you guys are very similar. I think you guys need your own show to get a bunch of people that want to get involved because you're, it, it's very similar. You're going into this environment and you're evaluating this stuff. And I think that if you could appeal to that same generation, that this is a, this is an exciting profession and you're going into this environment and, and trying to figure stuff out would really make your own infomercial that's on um, that looks just like a crime scene investigator, maybe on YouTube or something that would be very beneficial for you. So, yeah. Yeah, the we've secret been to the world. The secret to the universe is merchandising. If you don't believe me, you can find out for yourself by watching Mel Brooks and Spaceballs. Yeah, 
But I, I do have a technical question for you because we talked about certification. And my uh, one frustration is that how do, how do people stay recertified and you confirm that they are involved in the industry enough that their knowledge has stayed the way it was when they first passed their test? Can you guys comment on how are you keeping people um, in the field knowing that, yes, their knowledge is as good as it was when they started? Uh, I can start since we're providing a lot of the education that folks are using to to recertify. So we just got finished with AIHCE, which is a multi-day event, and there's five tracks. There's dozens of sessions that folks can sit in on, and after the fact, there's an an on-demand capability where you can watch the recordings and continue to earn your credits. And so I think from the standpoint of making sure that we're providing cutting-edge education for people like Jack and Mike, we do our best to ensure that our programming is reflective of current trends in the industry. So whether it's AIHCE, uh, webinars throughout the year, and also, Joe, just volunteering opportunities. You know, Jack is rolling off the chair of one committee. He's rolling on as the chair for the fellows uh, special interest group. When you maintain your credential, it's not just the education that you sit through. It's also public service and uh, volunteering in a committee capacity. So there's a lot of different ways that you can earn credits for your recertification. One, one thing, Don Weeks uh, ch- chimed in with a comment on the Q&A, which I'm remiss. Jack is also the vice chair of the ACGIH Bioaerosols Committee. So um, I, I think we need to acknowledge that. You're a multi-threat in the industry. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't Wait. know how to say no. <laughs> I'll follow up with one more question for you, Larry, and that is that many of the other semi-groups or associations that I around, they've developed a, you know, a young leaders or young, um, you know, association. Right? They're trying to get people who are under 30 to all help each other or get involved, showing that there's more and more of them. Have you guys adopted something like that um, as a, you know, a committee or a group? You know, they're all socially active, and that's usually how they actually focus on their group as, hey, we're here, we're young, and we you know, want to get involved. Yeah, it's a really good point. You know, one of my personal directives has been to help, you know, grow the membership. We've got a lot of folks that are retiring, right? And some folks retire completely and other people just step down their membership and they become an emeritus member, if you will. But my focus is really on, you know, how do we fill the pipeline? And that's why I've been going out and talking to the young professionals and the students. And it's really one of my favorite things to do. I mean, I'll go to a classroom I've even gone to an undergraduate classroom. I was out in Sacramento last year and I spoke to an undergraduate OSH course and there were, I don't know, 15, 20 students in the room. And a lot of them were just studying general OSH, but five of them came up to me after my presentation and said, you know, not because of you, Larry, but I just want you to know that I'm gonna continue my studies and I'm gonna concentrate in industrial hygiene in a graduate program. I was like, that's fantastic. So if we had the face-to-face conference, there would have been, social activities for the younger folks to network with one another. Can't really do that with a virtual conference. And then one last thing is, uh, Joe, we do have the Future Leaders Institute, which is a program that we hold every other year. Now it was supposed to be this fall, but we're gonna have to postpone it to next year. And that's a special invitation only program where we bring 30 to 35 young professionals together for three days of leadership training. So it's a pretty cool event. And that's our way of grooming the next generation of IHs. I encourage you to go ahead and do something virtually only because they are virtually minded now and that that's how they also will communicate in the future. So we're used to being there, touching people and, and getting close and shaking hands. But I think you should think twice about how they interact with their world and think about doing something, even if it's just a half day of getting sure. them started or connected. So I, I encourage you to do something like that. Absolutely. Yeah, and I would chime in. Um, you know, we've been involved doing quite a, quite a few online uh, events, you know, via Healthy Indoors as a partnering uh, media partner and actually a production company on that. And one of the things that we've been stressing and some of the upcoming events we're doing is we're going to do a lot more uh, virtual engagement. And I, I do, do agree with Larry that it's difficult. You can't get that same tactical thing, tactile thing you'd have when, you know, Joe and Mike and I are all in a bar, you know, but it's, uh, but you can't, <laughs> very- I mean, you really can't, you, well, you, you can, you can virtually replicate that, but I mean, you know, using <clears throat> things like Zoom meetings and, you know, and breaking people into groups where they can still interact, it's not quite the same, but there's still, there's value in that. And if you look at it from a carbon footprint and cost savings and stuff, maybe, I, I think this is going to, you know, this, this pandemic and this rush to the online virtual event space 
which I, you know, I've been trying, I've been pushing that for like six years, but now, you know, it really got accelerated in the last three months. I, I think you're going to see more, more uh, acceptance of that going forward. Well, you know, I'm going to give you a good example. Group. So I did a session with Kevin Kennedy. He's many of you know, Kevin, he's well-respected. And at the end we did a, Hey, come join us for an after questionnaire for just 30 minutes. And several people we knew like yourselves would have been there, but there's a whole bunch of people that we didn't know. And they would have not ever probably engaged us as we like being at the bar. And, you know, if I didn't know Jack or Mike, I probably wouldn't feel comfortable to go over and hang out with you. But the virtual world, they can just chime in and just listen to what you guys have to say because they're dying to get connected with you. And it's a real safe place to like just tune in and say, hey, I get to listen to what these guys are saying. Um, and, and I don't have to buy them a drink. That's really the, the benefit that's happening here is that, I, yeah. I, yeah. So there are things that are new to how we communicate. So I think you should be, be more creative about how you're reaching out to people. So, uh, yeah. Well, and I, and I think to that point, again, just having wrapped up AICE, I can't tell you how many positive comments that we received uh, for folks that, you know, yes, they missed the face-to-face, -face, but they were able to go to more sessions because they could pop in and out of rooms more easily than they could in a face-to-face -face forum. A lot of folks were texting questions during the presentation. And what we're doing is we're aggregating all the questions from the attendees, sending them to the speakers. They're then answering the questions and then we're gonna post the responses back to the attendees. So there's a lot more kind of one-to-one -one attention that you might get in a face-to-face. Well, also yeah. with the live polling functionalities and things, you know, you, you can, you can really, it, sure. it's different, but it can actually be um, equally as beneficial as in person if, you know, and again, I, I, we're going to see that evolve a lot, you know, in the next several months, you're going to see a lot, a lot of uh, uh, nice innovations in that uh, space. So Wait, Jack, I want to move back. I was going to ask Jack the next one. I had a question for him, but I'll let, let me jump this one and I'll let you take it. So Jack, I, okay. what prompted you um, to get into this industry, you know, in this career path back, you know, back when you made this choice? Um, it was purely selfish. Uh, I, I got into it for the fame, the glory, and the big buck. <laughs> How'd that work for you? Oh, I didn't. <laughs> no, uh, probably back. like um, yeah. most industrial hygienists, I stumbled into it. Um I started my career actually uh, in the blood lab, analyzing uh, uh, blood samples um, for medical purposes. Uh, then ended up in the asbestos field. Uh, this is pre-Ahira days. Uh, and I knew I didn't want to uh, do asbestos for my life. Um, I took a, uh, it was an OSHA 40 hour class. Um, Bruce Groves gave it for those who, who know Bruce. Uh, and I remember when he, when he first started the class, he was like, I'm a certified industrial hygienist and everything. And I was like, after the first day of class, I was like, I want to be that. So, you don't want to be like Bruce, I hope. No, no, but I wanted to be a CIH. <laughs> <laughs> how about, yeah, how about you, Mike? What, you know, I mean, in, you, you ended up over on the OSHA side. Was that right out of college? Did you get in, involved with OSHA or? No, I got out of college and I had a, a degree in science and uh, my dad worked for the Department of Labor and Industry in New Jersey. And he said, you know, we're looking for these guys that go out to factories and do testing and it requires a degree in science. Why don't you look into it? And I looked into it and it looked, you know, they hired me. So I'm like, that's for me. And then uh, about 10 months later, the enabling legislation to allow folks in Jersey to do that ran out. And OSHA preempted everything and came in and basically all us guys from the state of New Jersey just laterally transferred over from the state to the feds. I lost $1,500 a year in salary and had to work five more hours a week. So, uh, but it was like, hey, you know, it, uh, it had a nice career track and you rose up two GSA levels every year. So, uh, and the rest is history. It's been all downhill ever since. <laughs> so, so Larry, Larry uh, you know, you came over from, uh, you know, working with an organization in the chemical industry manufacturers. You know, what what got you attracted or, you know, interested in, you know, maybe making this career path jump to come over to AIHA? Just members like Jack and Mike. I mean, you know, what else could I ask for, right? <laughs> no, I mean, basically what intrigued me about this association is the fact that when I was at the, well, my last two associations were in the chemical space, uh, specialty chemicals, and then before that was uh, glue, adhesives. And while I was at these two associations, um, we were focusing a lot on the EHS component. So a lot of the programs and the services that we offered 
were geared to the environmental health safety uh, population. So when I saw the opportunity here at AIHA, I thought, well, this is a good segue from me from the chemical sector to the professional space, but I have a working understanding, at least a little bit of the mindset of the environmental health safety professional of which IH is a component. So I felt like I had, you know, at least again, a little bit of a, a working understanding of what an IH does from my role uh, at these two associations. And then I will say that prior to all of that, when I was in the for-profit sector, uh, I was a, a process engineer at Air Products and Chemicals back in the day, and I was involved in Right to Know and you know some of the initial work uh, that came out of OSHA uh, back then. So you know, I think I, if I had known that IH was actually a profession when I was studying chemical engineering, who knows? I might have become a Jack or a Mike, but I was not even aware that it was a, a, a thing to pursue, and so you know, I followed a very different path. But again, I had a working understanding of what an industrial hygienist does from various um, gigs, if you will, in the nonprofit sector, and even before when I was an engineer. Makes sense. Every, everybody wants to be like Jack and I, but you can't. True. We can only aspire. I don't. I don't. I'm okay. I'm okay to not be a Jack. I'll be a Mike. That's okay. Right. I, I don't want to be a Mike, but I'd like to be a Jack. Oh yeah, boy! You. you know they're they're piling on McGinnis. They're piling on my man McGinnis. I got to stick with him. Handle it. You know, yeah, like, he loves it. He I, loves I it. Yeah. Source, especially Midash, and that's the end of that. Yeah, there, there yeah, you okay. go. <clears throat> so, so my question was, why don't you describe what the new occupational um, hygienist might look like, or what their activities could be? I think that's still a little vague, and um, so people are going to be watching this, thinking about, well, you know what, I, I'm interested in this. So. Um, let's even go six months in as to we're past this kind of COVID uh, emergency uh, into like, hey, you know what? Uh, I, they want somebody like this on staff and what is it that their like regular activities might be? Because uh, I still think people are a little vague as to what it is that would be a daily activity for somebody who wants to work with um, a corporation as, a, as, a, as an example. Uh, that was a exactly. question for it was a question for somebody to answer. Apparently, maybe you should direct <laughs> it. What, Jack, you haven't said an awful lot. Well, you know. I wasn't even paying attention, so I can't. <laughs> so, what, what would be the, the daily activities for somebody who's now an occupational hygienist, or somebody who's not just you're trying to rebrand it? So, this is somebody who's working with a a, a company or a small, medium, large. Um, they want to figure out how do I keep my workplace safe. So, I think that's one of the new roles that you guys are trying to. Um, you know, rebrand yourself as. So what are some of the things that they would be actually physically doing uh, at that environment or with that company? Can you give some examples as to here, here's your daily activities? Uh, it's it's going to depend on, on, on what company you're working for. So um, I'm with ATC, we're a consulting firm. So uh, for new people that we bring in, uh, we, we try to team them up with, with the more senior person um, <clears throat> We would, uh, for instance, in, in New York office, we have, uh, we actually have four CIHs, myself included. So try to team them up with uh, at least one CIH or a senior manager. Um, typ typical work will uh, be in the field collecting samples, depending on what, what whatever um, investigation that we're doing, uh, be it uh, for silica exposure, um, hooking them up for respirable silica, uh, lead exposure, um, we do mold inspections, uh, we do waste um, anesthetic gas uh, exposure in, in hospital settings, wide variety of, of different um, experience that they would actually get. Uh, so so that's, that's what somebody coming into the company um, would, would probably be looking at. Uh, we also do our own training, in-house training for asbestos, lead, um, hazmat, uh, mold. So um, we put we put our uh, new people through um, a number of classes such as that. Um, uh, another class that we do, which is a, a requirement for anybody new coming in, is the OSHA 10. I think at a minimum, people you know anybody within this field should be taking the OSHA 10 so that they they can recognize. Um, at least the basics of some of the hazards that they're, they're going to encounter um, when they're in the field. Great, thanks. Anybody else want to add to that? Yeah, I would just add that it's, it's very broad. You know, uh, 
if it's chemical, physical, or biological in nature, and it can harm somebody's health, we could anticipate what kind of exposures are there. We could measure the, the exposures. We could determine if there's a potential hazard or not. We can design controls and you know me mechanisms to uh, eliminate the hazard. So, it, you know, everywhere uh, on Earth, there's some sort of hazard somewhere that we probably know about or can measure or can determine if there's a hazard or not so it's not just industrial you know it's at home you know what about the you know lead paint in home like jack said or what about uh uh you know just poor air quality uh so if, if it like i said chemical physical or biological we can measure it test it determine if there's an issue or not and figure out how to make people safe Got a question from uh, from the audience, um, actually. Um, so a young industrial hygienist, uh, this is coming from uh, Yusheng Desai, who is a CIH. And his question was, uh, what are the technical skills that uh, that should be gained in the early stage uh, in the IH or, uh, you know, indoor air quality career that would be beneficial in the long run for those individuals? You just named, you named off a, a bunch, I think, already. But I mean, are there anything in particular, if somebody who's coming into the industry now, like what you guys have learned, you know, you guys have learned through trial and fire, right? You know, from decades of uh, field experience. Um, what, what would you recommend to somebody that's new, you know, maybe fresh out of college and, you know, a newcomer to this field? As far as general IH or indoor air specifically? Well, see, I, and I guess this this was this was worded. Uh, the IAQ component was in there, so I and obviously that's uh, of specific interest to most of our our audience without the indoors. Um, well, you've got uh, instrumentation, um, sampling with pumps, sampling with real time instruments. Um, <clears throat> Uh, a lot, a lot of our air sampling these days, which is great, um, uh, use passive monitors uh, for for volatiles. I, I remember when I first started, we, we actually used to use impingers. Remember those, Mike? I do. <laughs> you know, I was around for those too. You know, I didn't like yeah. them, but I remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, some of the basics of, of the, the instrumentation that you would be using for, for collecting air samples, um, as well as noise, uh, that's another exposure that, that, we, uh, that we monitor for. Um, calibration, uh, very important if, if you're doing air sampling. Uh, it drives me nuts with, with uh, asbestos technicians who um, remarkably every single pump has the exact same flow rate that started as well as at end. Their pumps never deviate. Drives me nuts, <laughs> right? So if, if, you're, if you're serious about, you know, wanting to become an industrial hygienist, you need to be serious about your paperwork, uh, your calibration, um, <clears throat> all of that. So one of the, you know, one of the things I, I just have to voice this because I've seen, I've seen an evolution in, you know, in that profession, you know, with certified industrial hygienists from the time that I got in the industry, because so I got back in in the late 80s or mid 80s. And, you know, the, it, initially, I think there was there was a push then, right, because it's always been a good push that well, CIH is the competent person to, you know, to do indoor air quality work. And, and I argued back in those days, that's not wasn't necessarily the case. And I, and I have a feeling that both Jack and Michael agree with me on that one. You know, you get and there was a specialty uh, the IEQ especially came out as a result of that. But in general, back in the day, right, many uh, industrial hygienists really weren't that well-versed in an office environment dealing with indoor air quality issues, right? Way too much emphasis on air sucking, not enough emphasis on looking around, ventilation performance, moisture control. Uh, you know, to this day, I still see it. I read reports signed by CIHs and I'm like, you know, I've said it for a long time. The mere fact that you're a CIH does not qualify you to do indoor air. You, you need to specialize in that because it covers a lot broader territory than classical industrial hygiene, even to the point of things like, uh, you know, risk communication and conflict resolution and settling down crowds of parents in a school where stuff's going on. Uh, it's, it's, mm. it's engineering, it's HVAC, it's building science. It, it's much more broad-based than, than just classical industrial hygiene. But I've been ranting about that for years about, you know, 
uh, too much emphasis on sampling and not enough looking around. You know, sampling is never the first step. The call I get, the typical call I get is, people in my building are having issues. Can you come out and test? And I'm like, sure. Come, what do you yeah, want me come to test, test the air. Yeah. Well, you're the air guy. You should be telling us what I'm. Yeah, what you're going to test for. And I'm like, I'm not going to test for anything until I get a, a feel for the lay of the land and a problem statement and all that. And maybe I can solve your problem without any testing. So it's it's just you know and. The, the more I learn, the less, the more I learn, the less I know. So it's an ongoing thing. I keep learning and, uh, you know, paying attention to people like Jack that know what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah. I got um, yeah, Larry, Larry, sorry. Real quick. Um, I think what you're hearing from Jack and Mike is, you know, there's a core set of tactical skills that one needs to be able to be proficient at, but at the end of the day, and this is something we're starting to uh, incorporate in our short courses, our PDCs and such, how do you communicate the importance of what you do to the owner of that business or whoever's running that business, right? So the communication skills, I know you call them soft skills, but the communication of the business mm -hmm. case for why you need to do what you do is really critical for anybody that wants to be a CIH. Jack, you had another point, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I had a call the other day, um, a client um, uh, looking for us to come in and do uh, air quality testing within their office spaces for COVID-19, COVID-2, before they had people move in. And a half hour educating them um, about the limitations of the air sampling and the fact that uh, regardless of what we did, even if we, we did sampling for SARS-CoV-2 for the RNA, that the minute people walked onto that space, <laughs> that data was meaningless. Um, I yeah. talked myself out of more jobs, uh, right. but um, I think as, as, as an industrial hygienist and a CIH, part of your job needs to be um, educating the client as to the, the, the limitations of, of what they're asking for and doesn't make any sense. I, I, I hate to see people wasting their money on testing that is meaningless. Well, you know, clear, clearly. So let me pose this quick question. I know we're getting uh, close to the hour, but I mean, do you think, you know, for indoor environmental investigative work and stuff, does, does, do you necessarily need to have a certified industrial hygienist? Does the CIH designation really, um, and I think you already answered that to some extent, but does that, is that really the, the criteria for judging who, who the professional you should bring in is, or are there other parameters that you would look for in addition to that? Certainly one of them, you know, particularly guys, you know, CHs that are grounded in all the, you know, rubrics, you know, shall we say of, you know, what constitutes an in, a good indoor air quality study. It's good if you go to court, it's a recognized credential. Not everybody can get it like some of these other certifications out there. It proves you're, you know, grounded in science and that, you know, you can think critically. And again, it, you know, you can figure out ventilation systems and flow rates and, you know, uh, ventilation efficiency and all that. So it's not the only criteria, but it's certainly one that, uh, you know, increases your credibility for folks that, you know, know what you are and what you do. I wanted to ask a quick question because I, I think that other people may be looking at this as a new profession opportunity, Larry, for you. So um, uh, I think that the things they would have gotten out of this is that every day is a little different. It's a unique. Mm -hmm. I'm not stuck and behind something and doing the same you know, typing, whatever. So I'm out in the world and um, it is something that it seems to be tangible. But can you give some guidance as to what might be an income for somebody who pursues this as a profession? Yeah, AIHA launched its compensation salary last year. And so we found throughout the country that the average starting salary is in the range of fifty dollars to $60,000, which is really pretty good money for somebody who's coming right out of school. Uh, those that have a graduate degree might get a little bit more. And then we found that once somebody earns their CIH, there's a very nice bump up uh, in their income. So from a uh, aspiring IH perspective, somebody who's thinking about their career, I think starting out again in the fifty to sixty thousand dollar range is not too bad. It depends upon obviously the industry sector. Are they going to start with a consulting firm uh, like where you know Jack works, or are they going to go directly into industry? And I think that's uh, you know again that plus the quality of the work and the and the caliber of what they're doing, and then the altruistic component makes for a very compelling value proposition for the career. Well, I'm sure your industry, like all others, is that there's so many uh, people that are retiring soon and that the need for this type of knowledge is 
will soon be gapped. So they'll only make more money because of that. Uh, one of the phrases that's out there for a variety of uh, hands-on is uh, easiest way to 70K is a description that, you know, for a small amount of investment in your education, that you end up, you know, having little debt and have the ability to make a great income uh, over a few short years. So I think that it is very appealing to a lot of people. Um, it is that time where it we is. actually want to do a quick wrap up. Okay, so I'm going to go around and um, uh, you, I'll leave it open. You can kind of give me what is it that you would think would be a, a, a good uh, question to ask about should this industrial hygienist help me with my job? Like what are some uh, one qualifying kind of question or something you'd want to recommend to somebody who wants to get into the industry? So my goal is for you to promote this from either a business opportunity or from somebody who wants to get in, in this as a, as a profession. Um, Jack, you want to start? Oh, Mike wants to. <laughs> oh, Mike. Okay. Yeah, right. Good call, Jack. Wait, wait, wait to push that over. So, Mike, you're up. <laughs> Thank you for punting to me, Jack. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Could you repeat the question, Joe? <laughs> yeah. So, I think from I your perspective, when I'm in court, the lawyer asks a long question. Yeah. Okay. It wasn't. It's a good idea. It's a right. It's it's a true deposition tactic. Stall, stall. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to just give it to you directly. Why don't you give me, uh, give, give some advice as to why somebody would think this is a great profession that they should pursue if they're, you know, young in college or thinking about headed that way. What, what are, what is your promotion? Well, if you like science and you like thinking critically and you like being in the field and you like seeing, you know, new conditions every day and you don't like going to the same office every day and you want to do something that will improve somebody else's health and, you have a sense of altruism and you want to make the world a little bit better place. Uh, it's something to consider. Well done. We got glad we punted to you. All right. So Jack, you didn't answer the other question. So now you're somebody trouble. wanted to, now you yeah, got to follow yeah, up so. with that answer. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. So Jack, if you want to hire somebody like, you know what, this company wants to hire uh, somebody who's an occupational or industrial hygienist. What's the one or two things you would say, you know what, you definitely need to ask these two questions. Uh, you have to have a degree in science is, is one thing. Um, and you have to be personable because you're going to be out there um, in the field interacting with our clients and they're acting with employees. Um, so uh, you need to be able to, unlike myself, be able to communicate clearly. <laughs> Excellent. All right, Larry, what do you got for us? Well, Mike stole like three of my lines, to be honest with you, but it, it is about giving back, right? I mean, what is, more, what is more altruistic than applying your interest and knowledge in science to protect people at work? I mean, that to me is like the holy grail. And I think that message resonates pretty well with millennials and Gen Z. So I believe that the pipeline is better than we think for attracting new students into the profession. We need to make sure that they're aware of the fact that we exist. And that's the challenge. So I usually will be the give the, my last uh, input similar to what you guys have and then Bob will wrap us up. So I, I've been highly recommending that uh, people who are looking for solutions in their business get in touch with industrial hygienists. And I try to ask them to qualify, is this what they do? Because like uh, doctors, they could be a specialist in a variety of things. So you want to make sure that you're qualifying your you know, industrial or uh, occupational hygienist as to making sure that they can give you the good advice you're after because they all have a little bit of a different specialty or a different way of looking at what you're after. So I would try to qualify that, you know, are you able to help me with making my workplace safer? Have you done this in the past uh, as a qualifier? Because that's just, you know, it's a broad profession uh, like many others. You don't want a proctologist doing Lasix. <laughs> no. Okay. But they will try if, if, if the industry's bad enough. They're like, yeah, I, I can do that. Sure. Good month and a half. Yeah. That's going to be our new tagline for AIHA. I love it. We're, we're not proctologists. <laughs> yeah, right. I think that's a you great know, tagline. I, I think it's always good that you can unravel the show right at the end. You know, I, I'm not even throwing the hand grenade this week. I usually have the week, uh, every week I throw the uh, four minute hand grenade into the room with a question that no one can answer in the remaining time, but I'm not going to do it this week. I'm actually going to be uh, uh, a little more uh, reserved with it. Um, one, of, one of the things I'd like to say is you know, I, I think I really applaud AIHA's uh, repositioning and rebranding it's, uh, because I think there's a, there was a lot of confusion in the public sector, right? Un understanding just exactly what, what is an industrial hygienist? 
you know, the, the terminology does seem, I'm not going to say it's antiquated, but it seems limited. You know, it, I mean, great. it's still applicable, right? There's still it, yeah. bonafide industrial hygiene work that you guys are all going to be doing it, you know, uh, fr from that industry. But um, I, I think this is a good move and, uh, you know, I wish you guys the best with it. And I th hopefully uh, the timing, it couldn't be better with, with, in, in light of <laughs> what's going on and the fact that we're trying to make workplace, workplaces healthier and we're really worried, you know, worried in general about workplace health. So that that's that's excellent. Um I wish we had more time today, to be honest, because I think we could have kept this uh, topic going quite a bit longer. Um, but I would say before, that before you wrap up, huh? so I just want to, I just want to, we didn't, we kind of did it, but oh, I you want to do say, one more uh, shot. I mean, we can, we usually go four minutes over. So here we will do that. No, I just want to say Jack and Mike and, and you, Larry, but especially Jack and Mike, your dedication to this profession and this industry has been huge. You can't even imagine the amount of people that you've influenced and mentored directly and indirectly. So uh, I have somebody who's learned for a lot from my good, bad, and indifferent that um, I just want to say thank you because you have inspired a lot of people to you know appreciate what they do for others. So thank you. Thanks, Joe. I'm inspired by both of you too, believe it or not. I, honestly, and I, I'm saying that I'm not. I'm really not being tongue in cheek here. You guys, you guys are uh, bona fide uh, war heroes. You know, I mean, as far as in this industry, you've you've you guys have been doing this forever, and you've got a wealth of experience and knowledge. And most importantly, you've been really open and willing to share with the industry. You know, and that's the thing. It's not so. You know, it's great. There's a lot of smart people out there that never do anything to move the industry forward, and you guys are you know clearly above that. Anyway, yeah, I know all the accolades. We're uh, honored and humbled. Uh, to yeah, that's, that's a good answer. Um, <laughs> you know, so with that, um, we, we briefly touched on the topic of next week's show. Next week's show is actually going to be talking about how the, uh, the current COVID-19 pandemic drove the, uh, the adoption of online events, virtual events and training. So uh, we have a great group of people coming in next week uh, from all different organizations. Uh, Sue Marchese, uh, and I hope I pronounced your last name right. Okay. Uh, she'll be here from AIHA. Um, and we also have uh, people from the IAQA, from EIA, uh, you know, uh, just a, just a uh, great cross sector of uh, individuals that uh, from representing organizations that have been thrown into this situation of having to suddenly uh, adopt to an online environment. So that's, that should be a good show. Um, with that, I guess uh, you do, by the way, Joe, you do have a uh, uh, screen control if you want to share now. Uh, oh, so I thank you. You know, things happen. Uh, so what I would like to remind everyone is, uh, you know, thank you for watching this week's show. Of course, we do have uh, the show recorded and available at healthyindoors.com. Uh, also, we have a, a audio podcast recording of all these shows, which are also available on Podbean, but you can, all, you can reach everything through the healthyindoors.com portal. Um, also, Healthy Indoors Magazine, you know, uh, there's a live show it's a you click that button the hi show button if you if you're just interested in listening to our golden voices rather than looking at our angelic faces you can click the podcast button uh and not have to look at our videos but uh certainly that's that's a good thing and healthy indoors magazine uh we have you know we are a digital online uh monthly publication uh we come out every month we're free worldwide uh, we are going to be releasing an interesting uh, new edition coming up soon. I'll tease it, but uh, a more of a global flair version of Healthy Indoors will be out uh, soon, actually this summer, uh, in addition to our current offerings. And we do have a, a quarterly uh, print publication as well. So with that, I'd like to thank my guest today, Larry Sloan uh, from AIHA, um, Jack Springston, Mike McGinnis. You know, great seeing you guys, finally getting you on video. That's exciting. Um mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, it's virtually like virtually like being with you. Group hug. Except, yeah, except we don't ha we don't have uh, we don't have beverages though, so that doesn't seem quite right. A virtual IPA. A virtual IPA. Yeah, well, I have water, but I mean, it's exactly. it's really not it's not what I would expect with Jack Springston and Mike McGinnis and Joe Meadows. I have some and, real real under my desk. You know, I I still have bottle caps here from previous ones but uh <laughs> in the studio but anyway uh thank you so also very much for being on joe medosh obviously we uh you know he's uh, he's here almost every week he missed last week but he's generally here joe joe again is with uh hayward score and uh give us a quick plug for hayward score 
tell us what it's about for those yeah, of so us out it, there who don't know. So it's free. It's an online assessment tool that helps you um, make improvements to make your home healthier. So um, again, HaywardScore.com. And uh, once you're completed that, we give you individual uh, directions and advice on how to improve your health. And our website is full of great advice. That's not the traditional stuff. If you're looking for other ways to make your home healthier and obviously you benefit from that. So thanks, Bob. Excellent. So um, with that, I guess it's it's time to uh, call an end to another edition of the Healthy Indoors Show. Uh, we will see you again next Thursday from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time uh, for the Healthy Indoors Show and Healthy Indoors Magazine. I'm Bob Krell. Please stay healthy.